This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey, editor-at-large at Mississippi Today. You know, hospice care is a unique concept that can be difficult to understand and to adjust to. Our guest today is here to talk about hospice care and answer your questions or concerns. So we'd love to hear from you and give us a call. So let's uh, welcome the show right now, hospice social worker Marla Singleton. Marla, welcome to the show. Thank you for being with us today. Good morning, Marshall. Thanks for the opportunity to speak on hospice this morning. Oh, no, it, it's just great. And like I mentioned uh, just a couple minutes ago, both my parents were in hospice, one in lo- more of a long-term capacity because she had COPD, and then my okay. dad for about a day um, after he had had a fall. And both times were incredible, amazing, brought a lot of relief to both them and to the family. So I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Um, before we talk about it a little bit, let's tell us a little bit about you. Thank you. It's my pleasure. So I have been a social worker for 23 years. I graduated from the Jackson State University where I received my bachelor's and master's in social work. Um, and I currently serve as a hospice social worker for Compasses Hospice. And I have been with this organization for five years, but I've been a hospice social worker for 11 years. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, I, I would think that I'm a little bit outnumbered on the Jackson State University part here, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, you, you've been at Compasses. How long have uh, you been with them? I've been with this company for five years. Five? Okay, very good. So five, you've, yes. You've seen a little bit and, and been able I've to... I've seen a little bit, but my hospice experience is 11 years. 11 years, another, yeah. 11 years with another local hospice for six, and I've been with this organization for five now. So in my career span as a social worker, it's mostly been medical for me. Yeah. Um, so I've done about 10 years in dialysis. This is my 11th year in hospice. And right out of school, before I obtained my master's degree in social work, I worked in the clinic setting. So for me, it's always been medical. So as you can tell, Marla's got a lot of experience on this, folks. And if you have any questions or you, that you'd like her to answer about hospice, you can always give us a call, by the way, and that's 877-672-7464. That's 877-MPB-RING. And, you know, I mean, what made you just I mean, decide to, to go into that line of work? Because it's an incredibly – it takes an incredibly caring and compassionate person to be able to do that. It is indeed, Marshall. I will say for me, I didn't choose social work for me. Sometimes in life, God chooses a journey for us, and along my journey, social work was a stop that was needed for healing for my individual self and for my family. So I thought all along I wanted to be a psychologist, study the brain, but God knew best, and he chose social work for me because social work handles the human component. Right. And that's where I best connect, and so that is why I have been in hospice for 11 years because it is truly a uh, ministry where you are able to give of yourself as difficult as people think hospice is it's absolutely rewarding yeah i kind of gathered that i talked to some of the, the the people that were in helping with my parents a little bit and they kind of gave that same 
that same thing, too, that they really loved being able to help people find peace toward the end of their lives a little bit. Tell us, Absolutely. Ab- tell us about your organization, Compassus, and its its goal and its mission. Absolutely. So Compassus, our home office is located in Brentwood, Tennessee, and we like to say that our goal is to profoundly advance the well-being and honoring the dignity of those we serve, helping to make the world a better place one family at a time. So when we, we make this personalized, it is not, we don't see our patients as a number. We see them as an individual and we treat them as such. Our mission um, for Compassus is leading the transformation of healthcare delivery continuously with measurable improving the quality of person-centered, physician-driven, and team-based care. And what that simply means in layman's terms is that we work together to make it happen for the patient and the family because hospice is a patient and family approach. We handle both. When you elect hospice care, we take care of the patient and the family. So currently, Compassus, we have 151 locations and we're located in 31 states. Wow. Wow. What type of services do you provide? Because like I said, I, uh, with mom, it was completely different because she it was a more long term making sure she was taken care of. And, yes. and, and you know, and I, and I completely get the family part of that, too, because like when dad, you know, was in the hospital and they were trying to do acute care to him, we're like, no, he needs hospice at this point. And, and it was like a total game change, not only toward him, but toward us as well. And it kind of helped bring us a lot of comfort as well. Absolutely. So people forget, Marshall, that hospice is for the family because you need to be supported. When you are seeing a loved one declining rapidly before you, you don't know the type of support that you may need. Right. And so hospice is a team approach whereby it consists of a physician, an RN, an LPN, a chaplain, a social worker, a bereavement coordinator, a CNA, and trained volunteers. So wow. you have an entire group of professionals coming together to encourage you, to motivate you, to educate you, to love on you, to pray with you, to say, hey, you are not alone. Although this is difficult, we are here with you supporting you. We're going to take a quick break here just a second. We'll continue speaking with Marla Singleton, who's a hospice social worker at Compassus. So if you have a question or comment for our guests, give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey of Mississippi Today. World Hospice and Palliative Care Day is coming up on Saturday, October 9th. So today we've been talking with Marla Singleton, a hospice social worker with Compassus Vision, about the ins and outs of hospice 
hospice care. And folks, I got to tell you, this is your chance. If you have any questions about hospice care, say you've got a loved one who might need hospice or you have a loved one who's in hospice or you just want to find out more about hospice, well, you can give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. And that number is 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. It's your chance. You can give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. Marla, I I, got to tell you, um, I do admire that you do this for a living because, like I said, I think it truly is a calling. Let me ask you a little bit about it. Do you think, I mean, you obviously love working in the field, but do you think the hospice care field is for everyone? Absolutely not, Marshall. Um, because I've seen it 11 years and I experienced the profound loss of someone very close to me prior to doing this work, I think you have to have a life journey and some life experience to do hospice. So the answer to that is no, it is not for everyone because hospice is a calling and it's a ministry that you have to attend to. At the end of the day, everybody who works in hospice, we give a lot away through through the day, a lot of ourselves. We give away a lot of emotions. I bet. I bet you do. I bet yeah, you're exhausted yeah. at the end of the day. Because like I said, it's, you know, I was I was going to ask you, what are some of the characteristics that someone should have if they wanted to work in the field? And I would guess number one would be empathy and caring. Absolutely. Empathy, but compassion. Yeah. Um, you have to always place yourself. Um, when we run into difficult families, I always remind our team, that's somebody's mom, that's somebody's dad, that's somebody's aunt. Um, you would be surprised the number of nieces and nephews who step up to care for elderly aunts and uncles. And if a caregiver, a daughter or son is difficult and they're giving us a lot of attitude, I step back. I try to remind myself every day, don't take it personal, Marla. This is someone's loved one. And sometimes people think the uglier I am, if I'm getting her told, it means that I'm providing good care for my loved one. When actually we know that's not true. So we have to remind ourselves on this side, that this is somebody's loved one, and some people deal with grief. Everybody deals with it differently, so we don't take it personal. So compassion, listening, and empathy are all important, Marshall. I was going to ask, I mean, how do you manage to keep your calm and keep cool and just be able to step back? Oh, I mean, that's that right there is a no, it's metal worthy. Well, I will tell you that our staff at Compasses, each morning we pray. We ask God to lead our day. We ask God to be with our families. We ask God to take us in the right direction. Because someone needs hospice care doesn't necessarily mean that they're ready for hospice care. So we talk to a lot of families. We have a dedicated admissions nurse, and she may go out and meet with the family, and they may decline hospice care. So we encourage each other. The other thing is that we pray and ask God to be a part of our day throughout our day. But when we see another coworker who's had a tough day, um, our CNAs, because they see our patients more than anyone on our staff, they may become very close with the family. And if we see them having a rough day because someone is declining very rapidly, we encourage them. We tell them that family is so thankful for what you've done to, for them. So we encourage each other, and we rely on God to renew our strength. Yeah, I can tell you from a family perspective, it was very hard not to think initially of hospice as giving up. You know, and you know, because you, I mean, your natural inclination—you want to fight, you want to beat it, you want to win, win, win—and extend the life forever. But then you realize, you know, my loved one, my mom or my dad or whoever is is not doing well, and they're they're not in peace, they're they're in pain or whatever. And hospice kind of gives you that extra comfort, and, and that's more what hospice is, isn't it? Is is being able to make that transition a little bit easier. And and like a lot of people have an idea of what hospice care is, but what? How would you define it? I would. 
define hospice care. So there is a definition for hospice, Marshall. Hospice definition is end-of-life care for someone who's been diagnosed with a terminal illness with a life prognosis of six months or less. Do we admit people to hospice care and they live longer? Absolutely. And they live longer because we do not determine the end of life for anyone. That is God. So what we do is educate along the way what we see as the patient is declining and hospice care comes in and we say hey this is what we see this is what is happening with the physical body this is the way that we will treat it and that's called a comfort kit we we come in and bring medicines that provide comfort yeah and that's huge too there i mean that was a big deal with dad i mean just to see him go from the hospital where he was really agitated to be able to go to a hospice and be able to to be comfortable that was a huge difference there i was just looking over that you mentioned a little bit earlier in the last segment some of the the team that helps you out and everything. Of course, you know, you would think obviously a physician, nurses, that makes sense. But I mean, I, I found very helpful the counselors who came in and the bereavement professionals because it kind of really yes. helped us be able to, and it helped my parents too, and particularly my mom to be able to kind of uh, be a little bit more comfortable in the situation that she was in. The interdisciplinary team, Marshall, that works in hospice, we meet daily. I meet with my chaplain. If he's on a home visit and he sees something, he'll come back and say, Marla, hey, I think you should address this. If the nurse sees something, or if I see something, I go to them. I talk to my bereavement coordinator often, and we start pre-bereavement with our families. If we go out and examine that, hey, this family is not processing very well, although we're providing the support and the education, they're having a very difficult time. We start at Compass's pre-bereavement. I go to our bereavement coordinator and I say, I need you. Let's start with this family early. And so bereavement in hospice is very important, Marshall. It is 13 months of care after your loved one has passed away. So that means that this team will be with you for that first anniversary of the death, the first birthday, the first holiday. Our bereavement coordinator here at Compass's, she actually goes out. She She performs funeral services. We help to refer to funeral homes, cremation services, if families don't know, because sometimes a terminal illness can be very sudden and a family is not prepared. They have not arranged for a funeral home. They don't even know what direction to go in. So the hospice team, we do all of those things with our families. Well, say, just just to role play for a second, say I'm a family member who's lost a family member and I need a bereavement professional to come. What, what would be some of the services and what would be some of the things that you would say to me, for instance, if this happened? So as the social worker, if I received a call, um, first of all, when we do the admission process, we educate the family on all of the services, and that includes the bereavement care that is 13 months after the passing of a loved one. So they're educated on the front end. But if you call any time in between that and say, hey, this is on this day I'm having a very rough day, our bereavement coordinator or myself as the social worker or our chaplain, we will stop. And whatever is on our tablet in terms of visit for that day, we go and attend to that human need yeah. because it's a human need. They're asking for help. I am lost because some people... We have to realize that when people have been extended caregivers for a very long time, they don't know what their purpose is after the person has passed away. And we help them to see, hey, God has relieved you of this duty. You've done an amazing job being a caregiver, and now God wants you to live. But sometimes, Marshall, you have to give a person permission to live again Mm -hmm. and kind of guide them and direct them as to what it is they are to do in their lives 
in this next chapter. Well, I tell you, grief is a sneaky thing, too, because you think, well, I'm past it or, I, you know, because the initial shock is starting to wear off and you're thinking, OK, I'm ready to move on. And then and wham, it'll just knock you down. And, um, you know, and then it's, it's amazing. It's like a bruise almost. It'll start to heal and then something will hit it and it hurts again and everything else. So the fact that you're you got that 13 month uh, period there is fantastic. It is. And it serves our patients well. And like I said, we work um, as a team. And you talk about grief. We don't tell anyone how to grieve. We just support them through it. Because there are many stages of grief, as we know, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. But you know what, Marshall? One individual could be in all five of those stages at one time. That's right. That's right. They could be very angry. They could be in denial. They start to have a conversation with God. Please take me, God. Don't take my loved one. And we know on this side that that's very selfish. But because we could be in all of those stages at one time, we allow the person to experience that. We encourage them. You have to feel what you're feeling. And what we're going to do is be a presence here for you during that process. Folks, if you have any questions about hospice, we'd love to hear from you. Marla Singleton is here with Compassus, and I tell you what, um, she knows her stuff and would love to answer your questions, so you can give us a call. We can, The number's open right now. It's 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Uh, Marla, let's, let's just go through some of the myth busters about hospice, because I think people kind of have some misconceptions about it a little bit. Um, the first one is hospice is a place. Hospice is a place. So um, hospice is a place. It's a place in your heart. When you decide to elect hospice care, you can do hospice in your home, your assisted living facility, a nursing home, a skilled nursing facility, or a long-term care facility. Um, We go to where the patient is. We also go inside of hospice um, facilities like a hospice ministries, okay? So they house people there in that facility, okay? And then you have somebody's individual home. So hospice is a place where we take the services directly to the person. Right, yeah, with mom, and, it was, yeah, mom, they came into the nursing home with dad, and he went to a hospice facility. So yeah, you're, you're exactly yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And that was so great. It is where it is where the person deems their home. We've even taken care of people in a hotel, Marshall, because we, we wow. know that some people are in transition in their lives because that hotel room is their home. And we honor that space for them. Yeah, and that, we take the hospice team directly to them. That's powerful, and that makes so much sense too, because you want obviously you want the patient to be as comfortable as possible, and you don't want them being absolutely. in an alien. Everyone, Go ahead. Absolutely, everyone's um, situation is not always ideal, but it doesn't mean that they deserve any less care than anyone else's situation. Yeah. Oh, exactly. So uh, the second one is hospice is only for old people. Absolutely not true. We provide hospice care for babies, um, children, Mm. adolescents. Yes, um, we've had many babies on the surface in my 11 years, and it is very difficult. Um, When you are told that you're going to be a parent, you never foresee a hospice diagnosis. And I can just share a personal story. Being a social worker here with Compasses, we had a baby. Um, The family was um, not from this area was not prepared. As a company, we helped to identify a burial plot, a funeral service. Um, My cousin helped me do the obituary. We did everything. I spoke at the service. We were um, with this family, and we are still with this family, even after the 13 months. We have staff people here 
who we just formed a personal relationship with this family. We encouraged them. We nurtured them. So um, as much as people think we lose in this job, we gain so much. Definitely. Because we are still able to encourage this particular family with the loss of that baby. Wow, that that's incredible. That's incredible. We have Doris from Columbus on the line has a question for you. Hello, Doris. Welcome to Now You're Talking. Hi. I want to know at what point in a person's life does the medical profession decide that your loved one needs to be in hospice? What is going on with the body? What's going? That's a great question, Miss Doris. So. Many things are going on with the body, and we have to kind of look at this from two different sides. A doctor makes a referral for hospice when the doctor recognizes himself that he can no longer heal, fix, repair, or correct what's going on with the physical body. And we have to know that doctors are trained to go to the end with the physical body, but sometimes they have to acknowledge, hey, I have done this treatment for this patient, I've provided this care for this patient, and it's not working. And so at this time, we may need to look at bringing her in hospice. And so we have on the Medicare gives us a guideline and standards of what to look at. If the disease is COPD, if the disease is congestive heart failure, if it's end-stage stroke, we have a set of medical medical guidelines that Medicare has provided for us, and we consult with the physician who's made the referral. We look at the medical records, and we say, based on what we see here, it is time for hospice for this patient. So, Ms. Doris, what we see on the medical side are a lot of breakdowns in the body. When the body is no longer receiving food well, when the body is no longer benefiting from the nutritional value that food has for the body, all of those are signs when oxygen has to be increased, when breathing is compromised. There are a lot of things that we look at. Does that answer your question, Ms. Doris? Yes, ma'am. It really did. My mother okay. was in hospice, and she was walking, talking, eating, and then her medical physician said that, you know your mother qualifies for hospice. Yes, ma'am. And we were just devastated because we... She had a number of medical issues, but yes, we were just devastated. Well, sometimes, Miss Doris, um, I'm sorry. Go ahead, darling. We were we were just saying, what is what is she talking about? Right. So sometimes it does come to us as a shock when our because, as you said, Miss Doris, it doesn't mean because a loved one is walking, talking, and eating that the physical body is still not declining and or breaking down. And so when we receive that news from our doctor, it is very shocking, and we immediately become defensive. We go into denial and say, my loved one is fine. But when the hospice team is able to come in early, like the six months, Ms. Doris, we are able to establish a relationship with the family and help them to see why it was time to bring hospice in. We do receive referrals for patients who are declining, and we have them for two days. Like Marshall said, his father just had a hospice experience for one day. But when the hospice entire team is able to come in, we're able to nurture you, support you, and educate you through the entire process. So that is why, Ms. Doris, sometimes even when our loved ones are up walking and talking, a doctor says, because I have done all I can do on this side, remember we're looking at we can no longer heal, repair, correct, or fix what may be going on with our bodies. That is when we know it is time for hospice. Okay, I really appreciate that information. It gives me 
confidence, more confidence in the medical profession because I, I really, I didn't even think to ask her doctor, you know, why she decided that. Yes, but ma'am. I understand now what you're talking about. I'm so glad that you do, and I'm, I'm so glad that you have peace about it. Sometimes, Ms. Doris, um, the medical profession, we can miss it. We can get it wrong. And I just want people to know medical professions are human, but anybody can gain and understand from a conversation. We can all benefit from a conversation and learn from each other. Yes, ma'am. I, I really appreciate that. Uh, one more thing, I'm going to let you go. Uh, yes, ma'am. This, that was the second time that she was, the doctor said that she wouldn't make it more than six months. Yes. The first time, uh, she lived 13 years. But the second time, it was about six months. Okay. So to address that, Ms. Doris, sometimes people are so sick. So I guess the best way to answer that is, do we discharge people from hospice? And the answer to that is yes. Sometimes our physical body, we have so many things going on with our primary diagnosis and we have other comorbidities, and sometimes all of those collide at one time. And so our physical body can appear to be very weakened in a very weak state. And so a doctor say, oh, my goodness, she's had several things to happen, and so we're going to bring hospice on board. Do people rebound from that? Absolutely, Ms. Doris. So do we discharge people from hospice? Yes, ma'am. Sometimes a doctor makes a recommendation based on what they see, but when the hospice team is on board and taking care of their family and that patient, they respond to all of that care. They get better, and they no longer need hospice. But do we go back and readdress it? Yes, ma'am. We can and we do. So we do discharge people from hospice. We do come back and reexamine them for hospice a second time, sometimes even a third time, because we want to see people live a healthy life until God is ready for them. Okay. All right, ma'am. I really appreciate your time then. Yes, ma'am. Have a great day, Ms. Doris. Thank you. Y'all too. Doris, thank you so much for the call. And, and you can be like Doris. You can call us right now because Marla's here and, of course, can answer any of your questions about hospice. And, of course, all you have to do is give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. But right now we're going to take our last break. And when we get back, we're going to wrap up our conversation with Marla Singleton. So if you have any more questions, like I said, give us a call. We want to hear from you. This is Now You're Talking at MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center and host of Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking. Join us as we explore issues that relate to you and your family, from mental health obstacles and family interactions to handling life disruptions. Whatever the issue, let's try to figure it out together. You can listen live Tuesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
All right, welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. We've been very lucky today to have Marla Singleton, a social worker with Compasses. And we've been talking about hospice. And folks, if you've ever been through, had a loved one that's been in hospice, you understand how incredibly powerful of an experience it is. And it's a really important one, too. Um, you know, we're talking about Mythbusters, um, Marla. And, you know, you've kind of answered some of them. I like the one hospice is only for old people. It's not. It can be any age and range and hospice can be done at your home. And that, that was obviously very important as well. And, you know, we had a great call just uh, before the break and talking about and you, you touched on a little bit. But basically, if you're put on hospice, that's not necessarily giving up, is it? It is not necessarily given up at all, Marshall. Hospice is treating end-of-life terminal care, but it's not giving up. It's really fighting. And what we tell our families, um, one of the things, another myth buster is, do you have to be a DNR, do not resuscitate to be on hospice? And so some family members take a strong stance and say, I don't want to sign this because they use your exact wording, Marshall. I feel like I'm giving up. And what we tell them is that you don't have to sign that to be on hospice. That's the first thing. Um, but what it does is stops uh, the AMR team from coming in and starting CPR and all of these things. You don't have to sign it, but it prevents a lot of things if you do sign it. Yeah. But because people are so afraid and they want to fight, what I tell them when I go meet with them, Marshall, and I sit across from them and I look them eyeball to eyeball, I say, if you want to fight, we're fighting with you. we got time probably for one more myth buster, throw it out there. What, what do you think is probably the biggest myth that people think about hospice that you think is totally wrong? I think, um, I would say the word morphine. So people are so mortified by it, Marshall. They are afraid of it, and they think when we bring on morphine or we discuss morphine, if we have a conversation about it, they think that that one medicine is the one thing that will absolutely kill their loved one, and that's not true. That medicine is only used for comfort, and it does not stop the heart in any way because if that were the case, people would just be dying off. And it just provides comfort. It eases the respiration so that your loved one is not breathing irregular um, and that they're comfortable. I would think the other one is that hospice promotes starvation because we tell families um, don't force feed your loved one. Don't You can offer food, but if they are not accepting food, don't force them. Don't just put it in their mouth because, again, that can cause aspiration, pneumonia, which is another set of issues that we would have to address. So I think people think we promote starvation. Um, we have days where patients will eat, and we have pe- days where patients won't eat. But what we know is we near the end of life, the body does not receive and or benefit from the food the same way that we would. So I think those two, starvation, the food issue, especially, Marshall, around the African-American family, we celebrate with food. Just even in the South in general, we celebrate with food. Food is such a big part of our lives that people do not know how to disconnect from it. That is so true. That is so true about the food, uh, no doubt. And just one more thing I'll throw out there. And, and yes. this was a lot of people think that they can't still use their family doctor. And, of course, I know the relationship with the doctor is always so important, particularly with a lot of older people, too. So but you can. Right. Absolutely. So we do use you can use your family doctor. But in hospice, we have medical directors who are able and willing to take over that care. And most times. We've seen it, Marshall, in my 11 years of experience where the family doctor would rather 
a seasoned hospice physician, someone more familiar with this type of care, to take over the care. But do we have patients who remain under the care of their family doctor? Absolutely. If that doctor is on is not comfortable providing that type of care, we will do it. And we have the physicians ready and able to do it on the hospice side. Marla, obviously Saturday coming up, October 9th is World Hospice and Palliative Care Day. And this year's theme is leave no one behind uh, equity and access to palliative care. Why is this so important? I would say hospice is ongoing and it's about education. And leave no one behind means that every day, Hospice professionals are still educating about a lot of the myth buses that were that we stated and talked about today. So leave no one behind means that there still is a lot of work to do in terms of educating the general public as to what hospice is and what we really do and all of the services that are provided. Well, I definitely appreciate you coming on today and, and educating us. That's been great a little bit. Um, Talking a little bit, you know, obviously you do this because it's a calling and it's a passion. What has been the most rewarding part about this for for you working in this field? I would say, Marshall, we have a thing called the one thing. What's your one thing? When we go meet a patient, um, there are people who would like to go fishing one last time. So I'll just share their personal story. We had a patient with MS and we were the same age. So for me, um, it was very personal to me because I saw myself in her. And sometimes we can see ourselves in so many people that we meet and come into contact with. And she loved the St. Patty's Day Parade. She loved it. But she had been homebound for many years, only able to talk through a communication board. And she said to me on one of my visits, I want to go to the St. Patty's Day Parade. I want to feel, and I get chills every time I talk about it, I want to feel the sun on my legs again. So I talked to her mom, and her mom was, this is an adult now, but her, she lived in the home with her mom, and her mom was against it. And I told her mom, with all due respect to you, she's our patient, and it is my job and my duty to honor her one thing. So I went into operation mode. Um, the staff here, her nurse, her LPN, I spoke with Ms. Sanders at the city of Jackson, and we were able to coordinate a route for her to get right through all of the barricades, right up to the start of the parade route. And Malcolm White came over to hug and meet my patient. Um, Jill Connor Brown from the Sweet Potato Queens, they all came over to greet her, all of the firemen, all of the policemen. They gave her all of the beads. And it was just a proud moment for our entire team here. It was a group effort, um, a lot of people involved, a lot of work. And the mom apologized to me at the end. She said, Marla, I didn't know how to trust this process. Yeah. But I am so glad that you advocated, which is the role of the social worker in hospice is to advocate for the patient's end-of-life wishes. That is the entire role of the social worker and to link them with resources because sometimes people, again, Marshall, don't know how they should be supported. But that was a rewarding thing for me as a social worker because it was a lot of work. We had to convince a mother who was um, not on board, involve a lot of city agencies, a lot of local city uh, officials and community people, but we made it happen. And it was very rewarding for the patient. Yes, it was. Oh, wow. What an incredible thing to do. Uh, where can people go and find more information about Compassus and, and hospice care in general? So we have an office located here in Flowood, Mississippi. It's 3010 Lakeland Clo- 
I'm sorry, Lakeland Cove, Flowood, Mississippi. Our home office is 601-956-9755. We also have offices located in Brookhaven, Mississippi, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Macomb, Meridian, Natchez, and South Haven. We can also be found at compasses.com. Marlon, thank you so much for joining us today. Really it appreciate it. It was my absolute pleasure, pleasure to discuss hospice, something that's very near and dear to me. Right. Thank you for your time on today, Marshall. Have a great rest of your day. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, we want to thank you for sharing your time with us today and thank our guest, Marla Singleton, a social worker with Compassus, about sharing her story with us today. And if you'd like to hear the show again or any past episodes, you can listen to the podcast by searching Now You're Talking on your favorite podcast app or on mpbonline.org. Now You're Talking is a production of MPB Think Radio and is produced by Michelle McAdoo. Stay tuned for Southern Rebony, Healthy and Fit with Josie Bidwell. And join us next week for more great conversations on Now You're Talking only on MPB Think Radio. Y'all have a great week.